What is happening, NBA fans? Welcome into another week of Dropping Dimes here with the conference finals in full swing on both sides. We've had five games in the West and four games in the East. Game six in the West is tonight. But I'm going to open with what everybody's talking about last night. How could you not? Uh, from last night, rather, which is the hyperextension of Giannis's knee and the prevalence of injuries to All-Stars this year in the playoffs uh, and so much more. I mean, we're going to get to a discussion of last night's game, a look forward to tonight's game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That Giannis injury, I mean, dear God, I was... I had to leave the room uh, watching the game. My wife was in the kitchen and she heard me make a noise and I come walking into the kitchen, uh, kitchen pale faced, just about to lose uh, my lunch. And she's like, what happened? I was like, a guy just extended his knee in a direction it's not supposed to go. And it sucks because their team um, so one of four left to have a shot at a championship. They've been on this precipice before. This looked like the year where they could finally make the conference or the, the finals overall. And uh, now he is going to be out. And uh, first in the chat, Ramon Cook says, by the sound of it, I'm glad I didn't see the injury. Well, put it this way, Ramon, I can watch the injury now knowing Giannis walked off the court with the aid of his brother, but he still walked off the court. He didn't need a stretcher. And then he was back on the bench later in the game. Um, not too long after that. Uh, so as of right now, there has been no update. He went in for an MRI this morning. They have not released the results of that MRI. Uh, I have Twitter open for Woj bomb. Uh, I've been scouring, you know, nonstop to see if I can find any kind of information whatsoever. Uh, I know he went in for the MRI somewhere between two and four hours ago, and uh, they are parsing over the results of it now to see how it ended up. Now, best case scenario from everything that I've read online is that he has a capsule strain and a bone bruise between his tib and his fib. That's the best case scenario. Capsule uh, is, as I understand it, is a uh, a membrane that that envelops the entire knee itself. And because of the hyperextension, so his knee bent kind of back against itself and to the side, but because it bent back against itself, the membrane stretched on the anterior side, on the back side, or the posterior side, rather, on the back side, stretching that. Um, and then the bone bruises, the two bones, then colliding into one another. And um, under a couple different doctors' opinions that I've seen online, that is the best case scenario of what happened. He's got a bone bruise or contusion, however you'd like to say it, and he has a capsule strain. And that is more than likely the absolute best case scenario of this. Um, uh, 
you know, Trey Young has a bone bruise in his ankle and he's out for a game. Could be out the next game. If it's, this is, you know, in essence, this is what Embiid had. Um, so he could be out for a short amount of time, hypothetically, say they make the finals and he could be back for the finals, I'm guessing, depending on the severity of this. Uh, but if you watch the hyperextension, so then you run into, because it extended backwards like that, you then run into the what, if any, damage to the PCL and to the ACL. And because as it went back, it also flexed, you know, to uh, his knees left. There's an excellent chance. Or there's a, I don't want to say an excellent chance. I want to say there is a, a, a probability that he also did damage to his ACL. Now, fingers crossed, it is just a capsule strain and a bone bruise because if it's any kind of ACL injury, yes, he's done for this year, but it takes roughly a year or so to come back from an ACL injury, which means he's done for next year. And because this happened so far into the playoffs, he's also done for next year's playoffs. So the 21-22 season is out the window for him coming back for the Bucks. And his championship window with this team, as it's currently constructed, just narrowed dramatically. Um, fingers crossed that it's just the capsule strain and the bone bruise, and he's out for, you know, I don't know how much time. I don't want to speculate as to how much time because I don't know the severity, and I'm not a fucking doctor. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know anything more than what I have read and seen online from, uh, you know, doctors in the field breaking down the footage, which you can find. There's numerous channels on YouTube of MDs dissecting what happened and then giving you uh, an explanation of what's going on in the joint and the severity of what you know, what this could mean for Giannis. Um, fingers crossed. And then, then the dialogue online shifts to Adam Silvers and the NBA are assholes. They condensed the end of last year, shortened off season into condensed schedule this year. And the preponderance of now 10 all-stars having missed time in the playoffs. And this is, being laid at the feet of the NBA. And I want to say to that, listen, if the top tier stars didn't want to do this year's schedule and wanted to forego this money that they would have uh, lost by cutting down the number of games or pushing back the start of the schedule to get a longer off season, they very well could have. And they would have gotten their way. Um, but there were so many things up in the air that if they push the start of the season too long, then they're going to be leaving billions of dollars on, uh, on the table because they're not going to be able to get the ad revenue from all the games coupled with the fact that it's going to affect next year's season. Um, so money was be lost and, and 
uh, Mnet. Is that how you pronounce it? Mnet? Or is it just Emmet? But E-M-N-E-T? Mnet? Says it's only 10 because Trey was not an all-star. True, he was an all-star last year, and I'm counting it. And given the performance of how well the Hawks have done, and Trey Young specifically, uh, he will be voted into the all-star game going forward. That's all there is to it. Had the team not started so poorly this year, he more than likely would have garnered enough votes to make it in this year. Uh, but he now has the star potential, or he's validated his star status from a season ago um, by this playoff run. So that will get Trey Young to be perennial all-star status. Uh, I guarantee that will happen. All right, so now he's saying, given that, then it's uh, 11. So, you know, here's where we're at now. So Giannis, you want to blame the condensed schedule? Okay. Giannis's was a freak play. What that has to do with anything in the actual schedule itself, to me, is nothing. That is something that could happen to any player at any time, um, especially one like Giannis, who is constantly going and playing above the rim. Uh, this is something that's part of the game. So I don't consider this a schedule one. Trey Young, luck of the draw. It has happened to players over the years. Um, you know, the ref is part of the court, and Trey pushed that right uh, foot back to kind of start his momentum and in, in motion going forward, stepped on it, rolled his ankle, uh, and got that bone bruise. But to me, that is a unfortunate outcome, but in no way to, to me is that schedule. Uh, Chris Paul, Chris Paul's hurt every year. It was unsurprising that Chris Paul got hurt. Uh, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard is the godfather of load management. Is the, the reason we have a lot of this discussion now about stars needing time off. There was after that uh, Toronto run, uh, the next season, there was talk of perhaps he has a degenerative leg condition. And Kawhi, it's just part of the equation with Kawhi. There's a very good chance he's going to be hurt or hobbled. Um, you could say his is you know, a fatigue of uh, the condensed schedule and everything like that. I'm not saying it's, it's not a factor in that, but Kawhi is prone to getting uh, hurt as of the last few seasons. Uh, Kyrie Irvins was kind of another freak type of thing. And Kyrie misses games, although well, a lot of times it's on Kyrie's choosing. Um. The James Harden one, that one is weird. Because James Harden usually, now he may get fatigued towards the end of a season and a playoff push. And that was the discussion of why Houston never was able to get over the hump because, you know, he's asked to do so much throughout the course of the regular season that come playoff times that he's just gassed. And, uh, you know, a hammy injury like that, that's very weird for James Harden. Um, so that one to me is potentially suspect. I would give you that one. Um, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is always hurt. 
every season. Last year was the anomaly. Go look at his time in New Orleans. The guy is almost always missing huge chunks of time. Um, LeBron James. LeBron James is a weird one. That being said, he's, what, 35 years old, and he's played more minutes than any active player by such a drastically large margin that it's... That's one of the two things that's most impressive to me about LeBron. It's the fact that he hasn't had a bunch of these. The other one being, given the fact that his stardom, his rise to stardom is also the rise of social media, that he's never had a huge scandal because he's under a scrutiny unlike any other player before him. And I'm not saying other players before him uh, weren't under constant watchful eye of the public and the media at large, but that public and media at large also didn't have an instantaneous news outlet like Twitter or Instagram or whatever, or YouTube, doesn't matter, to put that information out and the fact that there's never really been any huge scandal. But anyway, LeBron, given the sheer number of minutes, the almost two extra seasons of games when you tally up the sheer number of playoff games that he's played, it's like a season and a half to two seasons of games that he's tacked on on top of the over decade and a half in the league itself. It's amazing that this didn't happen sooner. So yes, you could chalk this up to condensed scheduling and all that. And the Lakers late push uh, to win a championship last year. So if you want to make that case, I'm not going to fight you entirely, but I'm also not shocked that, an injury happened to a guy that plays more minutes than any other 35 or ish individual that we've seen really in the league uh, thus far. Um, You know, you can keep going on these. I don't know that I blame the preponderance of them on this condensed schedule, but I mean, what do I know? The players know better. And a lot of players are, uh, you know, harping on the condensed schedule and saying, see, this is what, this is the outcome of this. This year sucks. This is crazy. And then there are others that are saying, well, big fat asterisk next to whoever wins the championship this season, uh, given the number of injuries that every team has uh, suffered by and large. I mean, Phoenix is your healthiest team left. Um, So I, I, I don't, I take that with, a grain of salt. Steven Salas points out that James Harden came into the season fat and out of shape. And that's why he got hurt in Brooklyn playing his ass off. Yeah. You can make a case that that's the, you know, that's what happened. He was wildly out of shape when he was in Houston as he phoned it in on them and was forcing their hand to get him out. Uh, so he wasn't in prime physical shape. Um, Spencer Lewis asks, every team has injuries. Why should there be an asterisk? I don't think there should be an asterisk at all. Personally, injuries are part of the game. And if you're going to slap an asterisk on this, then you need to slap an asterisk on the bubble last year and uh, Toronto's uh, championship and countless others. Injuries are part of the game. And it's, you know, your team still needs to coalesce and move forward. I mean, look at the Clippers. If the Clippers won the championship this year and Kawhi plays scant amount of minutes left or doesn't even play at all, are you really going to slap an asterisk on that? That's impressive that the team managed to rally around one another. 
us against the world and beat the piss out of everybody in front of them. That's oh, that's a championship. You you play the hand that's dealt you. You don't get to say, oh, well, it needs to be under ideal circumstances at all times. I realize that you're not getting the best game from the preponderance of teams, but I don't feel like that in any way is different than, you know, the average year in the NBA. Um, yeah, and, and Emnet says he's been as entertained uh, this year in the playoffs as ever. I agree, man. I mean, look at the numbers. The rating that was uh, for the semifinal in the Eastern Conference between the Nets and the Bucks was the biggest, the highest rated game of the past three years. And it was a semifinal game. These games have been wildly entertaining, save for the roughly on average 20 minutes of reviews. It's like when they get a Jones to review suddenly we're reviewing everything. And then the arbitrary decision at times to not review things like that campaign out of bounds. That's one where, all right, so the Pat Bev on Devin Booker, what was that, game two, where they called it out on Devin Booker because fractionally it touched him. That one I didn't agree with. Whereas this one, it's like I, campaign's hand was still majority on the ball and actually i mean it kind of looked like he was still going to control it as well whereas booker was out of his hands and you know he didn't make a play for the ball after that really if memory serves once again doing this off the top of my head uh so that's one where i can't believe you've reviewed so many other things and then this one you're going to skip uh so i don't know when or why they draw the line at certain moments but these playoffs have been supremely entertaining that out of bounds play in game two in Phoenix is something that if you're an NBA fan or even a, just a sports fan in general, you're going to remember that that was a huge play, wildly entertaining and an indelible memory uh, made even larger. If the, if the Suns make the finals and I mean, can you imagine if we have Suns Hawks finals, this is going to be, crazy going into it how bad does lloyd pierce feel right now if that's the case um but yeah i don't you know bone bruise with trey young i don't know if he's back for the next game and you know watching um so spencer asks who do you think wins the series bucks without Giannis or hawks without trey i think Hawks without Trey have a better chance just because if you flipped Bogdanovich, right? He was originally going to be traded to the Bucks, and then he and his agents realized that there was going to be a lot of money left on the table and uh, managed to get him to the Hawks for more money. Um, if you flipped Bogdanovich onto the Bucks like they had originally, you know, uh, uh, rumored, I don't know if it ever elevated above rumor, but the rumor was Bogdanovich, and it seems like it was a fait accompli. If he was on the Bucks, I think I would still potentially favor the Bucs. Um, the problem is Drew Holiday is just not going to get you a bucket. He's just not. And P.J. Tucker has been cold from the corner three. He used to be an assassin from there. Last night, Middleton went 0 of 7 from 3, but you would need... 
Brooke Lopez to just be draining them from, from three along with Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton and uh, Chris Middleton. And of those consistently, I mean, Middleton is your most consistent of those shooters. And he went 0 of 7 last night. Uh, he would need to carry this team, whereas the Hawks have more depth um, between Bogdanovich and uh, uh, Gallinari and Herder and Lou Will, and, uh, you know, then you can do your dealer's choice of, do you want Clint Capella in there or Okongwu? And Okongwu has been really good against Giannis. Like last night, a uh, game before, and they put him in so much so that, uh, what was it, game three, where I don't know if Capella touched the floor in the fourth because Okongwu was doing uh, a good job at slowing and stopping Giannis. I mean, no one ever really stops Giannis, but you form that wall in the interior, it nullifies a lot of his effectiveness. And that's, you know, if you take game two, when the Bucks destroyed them, their offense looked great. But last night is, to me, more indicative of a possible outcome for the Bucks. Nobody's hitting their outside shots. And suddenly, if Giannis isn't in there, they don't really have anybody that can drive to the lane and collapse the defense down. And even if you did collapse the defense down, if nobody's going to hit a shot from outside, how effective is this offense really going to be? Um, you know, Bobby Portis has played well for him, but I now you're asking Portis to do all kinds of things consistently that Bobby Portis really hasn't done. I mean, you're talking to a guy who's a Bulls fan and watched a decent amount of Bobby Portis. Now, it was young Bobby Portis, but still, I've watched Bobby Portis play. And he shows flashes like he's done in these playoffs, but consistently, I'm not sure that you can rely on it. it you know, it's not quite the same as saying we're going to rely on Cam Reddish because Cam Reddish has been out and he came back, but it's somebody that you don't know that has the proven track record to do it in these moments. Now, once they start doing it, then you can believe in it. Um, but I just think that the depth, the depth on the Hawks is so much greater in that, okay, if Lou Will doesn't have it cooking tonight, well, we can try Herter. And if Herter doesn't have it, then we got Gallinari. And if Gallinari doesn't have it, and they can just move right down the line, and they have more options to get a bucket. And their defense last night looked really good. Now, is that a function of their defense was causing the Bucks to miss threes, or the Bucks missing threes allowed their defense to clog the paint and thereby reducing the flow of Milwaukee's offense. I mean, I think it's a combination of all these things, but by creating that wall down low and stymieing Giannis trying to get, you know, into the lane really reduces the dynamism of what the Bucks can offer. And it's not as though Bud coach Bud is known for, you know, uh, uh, game planning on the fly and, and, changing up tweaking chess match style at least to the average fan like us watching it you know the in-game adjustments and x's and o's not sure that that has ever been bud's strong suit from our perspective i don't know if you talk to uh coaches around the league and be like oh well you're missing these subtle little things that he's doing in the game but it took until this year for him to say you know what Giannis is my best player I am playing him 37 minutes tonight. I am playing him 41 minutes tonight. Whereas every other team, by and large, rides their best players of 
hey, man, it's going to be, worst case, 28 games to win the finals. You have four rounds to get through. You got to play 28 games. I need you out there as much as you can stomach every game if we want to win a championship. And I don't know why it's taken Bud this long to do what every other coach realizes. You reduce your rotations, come playoff times to seven, potentially eight guys, and you ride them as hard as humanly possible. I mean, last night, the Hawks, I mean, Nate McMillan with Trey out, starts Lou Will, but then Chris Dunn got his first real run of the playoffs. And Cam Reddish um, got his first real run of the playoffs, although he just kind of got activated very recently, the past couple games. Uh, but it just seemed like the Hawks night. You know, when Capella makes that circus shot uh, on the baseline, it's like, listen, they're going to win tonight. As soon as Giannis was hurt, actually, and before then, too, uh, anytime the Bucks were putting together somewhat of a run, because their offense looked pretty terrible last night, the Hawks had an answer. Whether it was like the end of the first half when Gallinari just nonchalantly kept uh, stroking from three, just top of the key, same spot practically, two, three times. We're just like, okay, they made a three, I'll make a three. They made a two, I'll make a three. And just one after the other after the other. Um. So yeah, I think if Giannis is going to be out, looks like he's going to be out for how long and the severity of which, no clue as of right now. And Woj has not, there is no Woj bomb as of right now. Still waiting on it. Figure he'll have it as the same time as Shams or anybody else. And uh, I have seen nothing. If something comes up in the middle of the show, uh, I will let you know. Um, so <clears throat> Emmett puts in the chat, the Bucks key has always been Chris Middleton. When he shoots 40%, the Bucks are undefeated in the playoffs. Yeah, and then when he goes 0 for 7, they have no other real you know, uh, chance. They have no other punch. I'm not sure you can rely on the streakiness of Brent Forbes or, uh, you know, Pat or Lopez or any of the others. And this could be the ascension of Chris Middleton. This could be what elevates him to true all-star and star status. Hey man, we, we need you. We are tied at two apiece. We are on the cusp of winning a championship, especially if it gets to the point where if you if we can tread water and win two games of the next three. It's all we got to do is win two games of the next three. And same thing for the Hawks. Obviously, they're tied. But if we get to the finals, Giannis, you know, hypothetically could be back. We we need you to elevate this team and get us over the hump right now. Because if Giannis has a severe injury, man, I, I don't know what in the world. It might be the perfect time to fire Bud because next year is going to be somewhat a wash. They could end up still with their guys making the playoffs, but they have no real championship aspirations if Giannis isn't going to be out there, at least as we've seen this team constituted. I don't know how you subtract the two-time all-star that is lethal 
as lethal as anybody on the fast break and is the only real playmaker you have getting to the lane uh, and finishing at a 60% or better clip at the rim, you know, within three to five feet. You don't have anybody else that remotely does any of the things that he does. So if they bow out in the Eastern Conference Finals, what a terrible way to go out. Like I'm, you know, full disclosure, I'm pulling for the Bucks in this series just because they've they've been in this discussion for so many years now, and they've been hitting this wall. And is it, you know, is it a brick wall or is this a glass ceiling that they can shatter through? Whereas the Hawks, it's like, wow, you guys are young and fun and interesting. You could easily be back here next year, the year after. This could be the front end of a long run. Whereas the Bucks, I don't know how many how much more time you have to get this right. So that's why I'm pulling for the Bucks to at the very least make the finals. Um, but I, I don't know how they do that without Giannis. Um. Daniel Kara uh, or Kara says, Luck's part of the game. Us Suns fans know. 2005, Joe Johnson orbital fracture. 2006, Amari knee injury. 2007, Tim Donahue plus Amari plus Diaz suspension. Um, so Suns fans know about overcoming those issues. Agree with SVG. Uh, yeah. Stan Van Gundy's tweet of injuries are part of the game. Bad luck and good luck are part of the game. There is no asterisk. I agree. You play the hand that's dealt to you. You do the best you can, given the circumstances. I just, if you're going to denigrate or undercut this year's championship, then you really need to go back and have a referendum on numerous years championships. And I don't see the point of litigating the past because what's happened has happened and you move forward. Now are some championships a greater achievement? Undoubtedly. There are certain years where Team X got full health of numerous juggernauts within their conference to get to the finals and play a team at full health who is a juggernaut from their conference, and they went out, and you're like, that was a Herculean feat. You guys are undoubtedly the champions. Um, but other years are just like, oh, uh, you got a couple breaks here and there and player X was out for uh, a game or two. And that changed the complexion of that series, but such is life, you know, the best ability is availability is cliched. As that is to say, it is the God's honest truth. If you watch enough basketball or football or football or baseball, hockey, badminton, it doesn't matter if your best players cannot play, then you don't have a chance. Um, so, yes, I would favor the Hawks, depending on the severity of Giannis's injury. Um, now, perhaps this is the thing where Bucks get some good news and, hey, Giannis could be back for as crazy as it sounds, maybe game seven, right? All you need to do then is win one game and the team rallies around Middleton 
and Drew Holiday and the rest of their core starters. Uh, and they they just need to snag one game of those next two. It's entirely possible. We saw the Hawks do it last night, came out and said, hey, no Trey, the guy that's been the heartbeat of this team, the confidence and resolve that we've needed to stay competitive in game after game and round after round, he's going to be out. And they came out guns blazing. And I thought early on, it's like, all right, Hunks, uh, Hawks came out, gave their best punch. But is it going to be like, you know, previous game where doesn't matter. The Bucks methodically just keep cutting back into this and cutting back into this. But it didn't happen. The Hawks continued to move the ball around, find the open man. They played with energy. Their defense was intense. Um, they're going to be a tough team because Giannis was, even with Giannis in there and the rest of the Bucks, they shot piss poor. I mean, first half, they were in the low 30s as a percentage. The team couldn't make a fucking basket just watching it. And it was terrible shot after terrible shot. Occasionally, they'd get off one that was good within the flow of the offense. You're like, boom, that's he's wide open. I like this shot. And other ones where you could tell the lift. Uh, I don't know if you guys do this at home. I, anytime a shooter goes up, uh, I make an instant reaction and I guess as to whether or not that's going in every single shot. I do it every time. Um, you know, you're fooled sometimes, but you can tell. It's like, oh, he doesn't have his legs tonight. Watch this. Front of the rim, front of the rim, side of the rim. Uh, other ones like P.J. Tucker's, I'm not sure at this point. I just assume it's not going to be in, even if the mechanics look good for a P.J. Tucker shot because he seems to be in his own head in this funk thing. Because uh, from the corner, he's just been the best in the league for quite a few seasons now. Um and I, yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, percentage-wise, if he is actually the best in the league, but he's in the discussion. I know that much. And uh, yeah, others, like, I, I don't know, Brent Forbes, he's either insanely hot or he's not. And those those do, seem to be his only two settings. Um, so there we go. Let's move to tonight's massive... Game six between the visiting Phoenix Suns and home team, the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, if Paul George plays like he did in game five, the Clippers are going to be really difficult to beat. There's no way you shoot that high a percentage from the field overall, and then what was he? Eight for eight from the line, three of six from three, and something like 16 of 20 overall from the floor? 15 of 20? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Then you couple that with Marcus Morris had, percentage-wise, I think his second-best game of the playoffs you know, point total and all that, it's top five. It might be fifth, fourth or fifth, but still. And then Reggie Jackson, which I am going to have to do a mea culpa on Reggie Jackson. I'm still not a believer in Marcus Morris. I think, I don't know, the issues that I have with him still maintain when I watch him, even when he has an excellent night like he did 
in game five, whereas Reggie Jackson has been so consistent and really good that somebody is going to pay for him. You know, the the news today of Dennis Schroeder is seeking a contract in the 100 to $120 million range. And uh, I would imagine every GM, I would hope with their salt, looked at that and was like, well, even if I have the cap space, I'm not paying Dennis Schroeder $25 million over four years or $30 million over four years, $30 million per over four years. It's just not going to happen. I, I can't fathom a world in which that 84 that he left on the table to me was the high end of what Dennis Schroeder should be making, you know, 21 ish million per year. Given today's NBA sounds about right. Um, now, if you want to bump that up to 25 to 30 million, I think you're out of your mind. Whereas Reggie Jackson has been so consistent it doesn't matter like the, you know, Paul George has been a little bit up and down, but he's also the focus of the offense. And when the other team's defense knows that puts a different kind of pressure on you. So if you take away the bad free throws late in games, by and large, Paul George has been pretty excellent. These playoffs, he's had some bad games in there. Sure. But when they've needed him, he has really stepped up. And then, Reggie Jackson, it doesn't matter if it's in a win or if it's in a loss at this point, he is going to be as consistent as anybody and get you a minimum of X and a maximum of Y uh, at an efficient level. And he's also going to do it from three and driving down into the lane, a little bit of mid-range here and there, but he's going to make the defense honest. He's going to keep him honest. And it's a turn for Reggie Jackson. That has been my problem with the Clippers all year. It's like, you really need to upgrade this, this guard spot because to me, the inconsistency of Pat Bev and then you factor in the Reggie Jackson thinks he's a, a superstar and you only see flashes of it. And that's a dangerous combination. Whereas in these playoffs, man, Reggie Jackson has played so well that somebody is going to pay him. Uh, I'm not sure quite the Dennis Schroeder number, but he's going to get paid. And rightly so, because if he can deliver this for you in the playoffs, that is a worthwhile team uh, teammate to have on your squad. Just like campaign. Campaign is up in free agency. Somebody's going to pay him too. I uh, Given the two choices, Reggie Jackson is, um, I believe, you know, a little bit older. But I would personally pay Reggie Jackson more or I would seek out his abilities first over campaign. It's nothing against campaign. It's just that one night where he went off, Reggie's had a few of those. And he's done it as the starter where his campaign is coming off the bench. Um, still needed it. I'm not denigrating what campaign has done thus far. Reggie Jackson has been a revelation. I never expected to be saying that at this point in the playoffs. So tonight, it's they still need, in essence, what they've needed. They need PG to 
I, you know, there's no way he's going to do what he did in the last game, but something close to that. If you can shoot upper forties from the field as a whole to low fifties, that's awesome because you're pretty much money at the line. Those late game situations have, have bit you in the ass a couple of times this postseason, but pretty steady Eddie at the line. So you know what you're going to get from PG at this point. So you still need a combination of, you know, Pat Bev or uh, not Pat Bev. I'm sorry. Uh, Reggie Jackson or Marcus Morris or Terrence Mann to step up and be able to play uh, big minutes and get you big buckets. And so far, whenever they've needed it, they've gotten Reggie Jackson plus one of those other two guys to do it. Whether it's Morris or Mann or Kennard coming in and giving you 12 points, you know, eight of which coming in the third quarter out of nowhere and just a spark for the offense. Um, so they have gotten some combination of that. But Phoenix has the most health of any team left in the playoffs as of right now. And last game, I mean, shots just weren't falling. I do find it interesting, as others have pointed out, and they've done it on the broadcast, the tempo of their offense has slowed down when Chris Paul came back because that's what Chris Paul does. He gets you into the half court. He probes the defense and tries to find the most efficient shot that you can get for your offense at any given time. Um, but in those first couple games when he was out, it was they were running and putting the pressure on the clips, and it was a pace that really seemed to favor Phoenix. Now, you could say game two, listen, PG hits those free throws. It's a different animal, and it could have been 1-1 after two games. But, you know, outcome is the outcome. So they're up 2 nothing. And then in the last game, when Chris Paul sat and they gave the ball to Booker and was like, go ahead and run. Let's pick up the pace and see if these guys can hang with this. Booker was turning the ball over um, just too frequently to make that a tenable situation for the for the the Suns to be an efficient offense. So I'll be curious as to whether what kind of pace I'm assuming if Chris Paul is going to play, then the pace is going to be at whatever Chris Paul wants the pace to be at. And over the course of regular season, that got them all the way to the second seed. So on some level, you know, if you're Monty Williams, it's like, well, if it ain't broke. Um, but you did see that pushing the Clippers gave you an advantage with your younger legs. And will they try and find some sort of balance within there? You know, unlike Bud, who doesn't seem to make many adjustments, now he's going to have to without Giannis. I think Monty Williams is more than happy to try and find the chink in whatever armor and just like, oh, we, we seem to have a slight advantage here. So why don't we press this point and see if we can turn that that narrow gap into a much larger chasm and really hammer them home uh, or hammer them on this point until they are forced to pivot. And at that point, oh, okay, well, they're pivoting to this. They're either going to maybe make a lineup change to, to better uh, uh, stifle what we're doing um, or, you know, reforce the issue and impose their will onto, you know, change the complexion of the game that way. But I think Monty Williams will make the slight uh, changes, whatnot. A lot of people right now are 
singing the praises of Ty Lue saying, hey, nobody's better in these elimination-type games. Um, while that is true, this is, personally, I think this is the first time you can fully assess his coaching ability. Um, because when he was with the Cavs, we all looked at the Cavs as coached and GM'd by LeBron. So whatever LeBron wanted to do is what that team did. Now, none of us knows the veracity of that claim and whether or not that is true. But it really seemed like from the outside looking in, it's kind of like the debate between at the height of of Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning. I was having this discussion numerous times with people. And, uh, you know, it was before... Peyton ended up retiring and then Tom continues on. And now it's not much of a discussion as to who the greatest of all time is at that position. It's, it's tough to make a case against Tom Brady at this point. He's done it at the highest level for so long that even if you don't like the guy, you have to acknowledge the fact that his teams win. Uh, but anyway, my point of contention was I always felt that Manning was the better quarterback in this regard if my team was going to play them, right? So we're going to play the Colts uh, or the Patriots. Well, the Patriots, I'm game planning against Belichick, whereas the Colts, I'm game planning against Manning because he is the general out on the field, looking at the defense, calling audibles, determining what the offense is and where you can find the things that you can exploit to win today's game. So I feared Belichick the most at that time on the Pats and on the Colts, it was Peyton Manning. And it's just like Ty Lue with LeBron. Well, when he was on the Cavs, you know, if it was my team playing him, I'm not game planning against Ty Lue. I'm game planning against LeBron and his floor generalship. So this year is the first year where you can take a step back and actually see, okay, is Ty Lue a good coach? I mean, he's been in the mix for these good jobs. Players have all vouched for him. I mean, you know, David Blatt was forced to take him on as his lead assistant. And I don't know if he had any reservations about that when he took the, the Cavs job or was just like, oh, no, uh, Ty Lue's a great coach. And uh, if the players want him, it'll help with my transition. So be it. Makes all the sense in the world. But players have rallied around him. And then when, you know, Doc is ousted from the Clippers job, Ty Lue jumped to the top of that list. And it seemed as though those players, you know, obviously wanted him. So there had to be something to this, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. So we wanted to see the fire. That's all. We just wanted to see been a lot of smoke around him um, and whether or not that fire was real or if it's just kind of like a, the campfire has already been put out because somebody put water on it. You can see the smoke billowing through the top, but not sure if that was ever really any kind of fire that I need to concern myself with. Uh, and I just checked Woj, nothing yet on Giannis. And got to give it up to Ty Lue. They have been resilient. Um, I like a lot of the uh, lineup combinations. Um, 
when he saw that Terrence Mann is a big spark plug for them, he rides those guys that give him the best chance to play. And, you know, Terrence Mann's mom came out and, uh, you know, after he had that massive game in the last round and said, you know, no offense to Doc, love Doc, but Ty Lue saw the potential in Terrence and helped foster and grow that, whereas Doc didn't. And, you know, difference of extra year of seasoning and growth for a player. But Doc is also one to not rely on young guys. He is a veterans coach. He plays the guys that have been around longer in the league. Uh, they just get more run with him. Certain coaches are like that. Tibbs was always like that in uh, Chicago. Just like, if you're a young guy, you have to be wildly impressive for him to be putting you out there because, well, A, he likes to play his main guys way too many minutes. And uh, B, he's more likely to go to a veteran of any kind that has played. And Ty Lu said, nonsense to that. Terrence Mann uh, has been great for us. We're going to continue to play Terrence Mann. He's not set in any kind of specific mindset of these are the guys I've been playing, so these are the guys that I have to play. It's been more a function of I think the matchup suits us better to play this individual. So well, I'm going to try that. And he's taken, you know, certain uh, risks at times by doing various lineups or like game one, just knowing that there's a good chance we're going to lose this, lose this because it's less than 48 hours since our, you know, since the last season for us ended and my guys are tired. So just to know, to have the foresight, it seems at least on the outside looking in to go, well, if we got to lose one, it's okay to lose this one. If I can get my guys a little bit more rest. Now, if we could sneak out the win, fantastic. Who's ever going to complain about that? And then on the flip side for the Suns, you know, in that last game, their offense looked a little wonky. You know, guys that have been hitting shots weren't hitting shots, and that makes uh, a tremendous difference, especially on the flip side when PG is playing, you know, God-tier status, and Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson and and other guys are chipping in at 50% or better. It's just like, that, I, don't, I don't care who you are, that's going to be tough to beat. So Phoenix, like, you know, Bridges seemed off, and Devin Booker has been somewhat struggling from three-point range. Um, and he didn't seem fully himself. Uh, CP was better, but not great. Um, I do feel like they need to press the issue on Aiden because I don't know that, that uh, Zubac or anybody else that the Clippers can throw it, Aiden can kind of slow him down at this point. So... I would not be surprised if they tried to press that advantage tonight because he has been really efficient and uh, quieted all that discussion of maybe he wasn't a number one overall uh, and you could have gotten something or potentially traded down because I don't know what kind of market there was for him at that point. Um, but that draft class is, you know, tough luck to the Kings, but so far, there's three real gems that came out of that draft class 
two of which are showing up big in their conference finals in Aiden and Trey Young. Um, but yeah, I think I would press the advantage with uh, Aiden more, try and feed them him the ball, and then force the Clippers defense to either double him when he gets it on the low post or maybe not double, but feign the double, rush a guy down, and then have him back straight out. But do something where you're pressuring him. Um, but from Phoenix's perspective, if I can get the Clippers defenders to be dancing around and all that, that just means there's an open shooter uh, somewhere out there. And I don't know that the shooting woes will persist, will persist to the degree that they, they did last game. Um, so I, I would have faith that Phoenix can bounce back like tonight. Tonight should be obviously a super interesting game, but on the road for the Suns in Los Angeles, I kind of like them tonight. I think Chris Ball coming into his old building and wanting to exercise all the demons and the young guys just putting the last game in their rear view and the Clippers somewhat knowing we need another massive output from three of you if we're going to have a chance of winning this game. I don't know. I feel like the pressure is on the Clippers to win this. Uh, and granted, it is more so than Phoenix because Phoenix just needs to win one of the next two, whereas the Clippers need to win the next two. Uh, it's a different mentality, but it should leave Phoenix playing a slight bit looser. And I think I favor them, even though it is on the road. Uh, I think I go Phoenix tonight. I don't know. We'll see. I could be eating those words, but just kind of like it. Uh, and then it also gets them a little bit more rest because the East were knotted two games apiece. And, uh, you know, we still got a couple more days of this before anything happens. So I'm checking Woj one more time. I see nothing. Uh, I see nothing there. I see nothing on the trending page on Twitter. So no update from Giannis as of right now. Fingers crossed that it's just a capsule strain and a bone bruise. Be, you know, I'm hoping the worst case for, for them is he's out for, depending on how far they go, he's potentially just out for the rest of this season. And it's not going to have effect on him long-term for next year because in no way, it's kind of like Jamal Murray with the, the Nuggets. It sucks, man, because he's not going to make it back until into next season at the earliest. And their window to win a championship too is like, it's right now. Um, given the cap constraints that they have and making the move to get Aaron Gordon. And it's just like, all right, this is the year and next year. Jokic is an MVP. Michael Porter Jr., although he had back trouble, uh, was bothering him in the playoffs this year. But he is rounding into shape and just like, look at this. This is a team now that has three really potent scoring options. Um, and you throw in Gordon and he should just feast on cutting to the rim. This team is interesting. Um, so hopefully Giannis's injury is nothing, you know, severe. And uh, it goes, 
you know, the same for her. I don't wish a bad injury on any player, no matter how much I may not enjoy watching their game or some jazz like that. Uh, I still want them out there. It's a, it's a more interesting game to have, you know, your full team there as opposed to some reduced fractional aspect of what you could be. Uh, so anyway, that is it for today's dropping dimes. I think I've rambled enough about basketball for one day. Thank you to uh, everybody that joined in the chat. Steven, Daniel, uh, Enmit, Spencer, Ramon. Um, I feel like I skipped over a few of you. Uh, if I did, I apologize. Um, thank you to everybody that tuned in live when you're watching. If you're listening to this later and you want to watch live, um, go over to youtube.com forward slash dropping dimes. I do it at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time every Wednesday. I go live. You can join. You can watch. Uh, hit me up in the chat, whatever the case is. Uh, but that is it for this week. You can follow me anywhere at Matt Nost. Stay safe out there. Stay six feet apart. If you can get the vaccine, please go get the vaccine. And uh, I'll see you guys next week with another edition of Dropping Dimes. Enjoy tonight's game and the rest of the conference final actions. Uh, the next time I see you, we will be into the finals. And I can't wait. Until then, adios. Thank you.